So, today we're going to, um, so we have no Sunday school the next two weeks, and then I will be gone the week after that, so you'll have to go to Father Mark's class. Um, uh, I'll be, be in Houston. So, um, what week is that? 14th? Yes, 14th and 15th, yeah. Yeah, I have a convention down there to go to. So, um, so for since we're not going to have class for three weeks, I know, you know, if I tried to teach something today, you know, and then we do a three-week break, that's kind of difficult. So what I thought I'd do today is um, there we'll have four classes left after that before we break for the summer. And two of them that we're going to cover, Father Mark's asked me to cover, are um, what it means uh, to have a spiritual father. The spiritual father relationship, okay, and then this marker doesn't work well. No. And then um, the other one was um, the other one is the concept of home as church. Okay. So those are two of the topics we're going to cover in the four weeks after we come back. All right, but that'll be three weeks from now. So. Um, so today, I thought, if you have any questions about anything we've covered so far... Um, what did we do last week? We did the construct of the Mass. Yeah, we did the structure of the Mass. It was basically a, a, the finish of the previous week. Okay. And then, since Father only gave us 30 minutes, I had to rush through it, and we didn't have a lot of time. Those are the two that I missed. Yeah. That's good. So, um, one of the things, uh, this, this Wednesday night, um, we're going to talk about Holy Week. We can talk about some of that today if you want. Um, so that's another topic uh, we can cover. But I have a housekeeping question. Are they going to do the Friday service? Is called Reverence of the Cross. What's it called? Yeah, yeah. It's it's well, it's it's that's part of what we do during the service. I mean, Friday, Good Friday, is the only pre-sanctified liturgy normally we do during the year. But they're, are they? You know how they used to have a twelve o'clock mass. I don't think he's going to do that this year. Okay. We, yeah. We, what I say? They. Oh. Well, I think, yeah, you probably met Father Robert and, you know, when we, had, we, yeah, when, we had two, when we had two priests, it was easier to do. Oh, okay. So, um, I think he can, but not here today. He had something, because Father, Father knew he wasn't going to be here, so he had some family thing or Maybe it takes a little bit longer when you're Just a bit. <laughs> I have another random question. Yes. There was um, something I saw in the news that President Trump and the Greek Archbishop. Okay. Was some sort of he was. What is what what is today? Trump was. Okay. Passion Passion Sunday. 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 For us, it is. Yes. Um, Palm Sunday. For for them. Yeah. Who is it? what is it for the Greeks? Normally, what feast of the church would be today, except it's going to be tomorrow. Right, so what is it for the Greeks? Greek Independence Day. The biggest holiday of the year for the Greeks is Greek Independence Day, and that's today. So that's they, were just, they were doing something. They were doing a ceremony. Yeah, every year they, they, the Archbishop goes and uh, does something. And they honor the Greek independence. Okay. I just hate it's always the Greek. You know, when it's an Orthodox priest in America doing something on a national level, it's, okay. it's hardly ever. Absolutely. Well, now, just now, okay, you want to see actually um, other Orthodox bishops do something on a national level? 
watch the uh, Right to Life march every year. Okay. The rush, the OCA bishops and Bishop John actually went this year, okay. and they were at the lead of the of the march for okay. the Right to Life. Okay. Good. But the Greeks outnumber everybody here. Yeah. That's the thing, and they got more money than everybody else here. Right. And, and see, what's interesting is in Brazil, it's the opposite. In Sao Paulo, one of the big landmarks of the city is the Antiochian Cathedral. Really? Yeah. And but then there's not not too many Greeks. So in Brazil, there's a lot more Antiochians than there are Greeks. Here, there's a lot more Greeks than Antiochians. We're going to Spain. There's going to be no Orthodox anything there, right? Pretty much. Just Catholic and mm-hmm. mosques. Lots of Just pretty well, pretty much Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. They chase. They they. What they you said, said, watch your pockets. Yeah. Oh, I've heard anything. that. Yeah, and that's pretty much true in any part of Europe. Uh-huh. Yeah. I carried, I had a, when, when we went to Greece, I had a, a thing, you know, it was a, I put my passport and all under my shirt and a Guess thing around Victor my neck. Did. Victor had his passport, um, his passport, and I think he had his driver's license, but I'm not sure, but he had that around his neck, but he had his wallet with everything else in it, oh, and they got his wallet. They got his in wallet. the back or the front? Yeah. He had on, he had on a pair of shorts that had the pockets. The big the the cargo deep, shorts. Deep, yeah. yeah. And, and he had them buttoned. And oh wow! No, they're good. They're really yeah, good. Yeah, they're real good. He never knew. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So it it's it's interesting if you look at the way the 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 different um our different jurisdictions kind of started here. Of course, they all. <laughs> We had one jurisdiction in the United States. We were all under the Russians until what? Communist. Yeah, the Russian Revolution, yeah. right? And then the money stopped because the Russians were sending money to keep the priests here and everything else. Well, once the money stopped, then you had all these different communities that had popped up. Um, the Russians came in, of course, through Alaska. And, in fact, they traded all the way down to um, northern California. There's Fort Ross, which Fort Rus was the Russian fort. And every year they still have divine liturgy there once a year in this state park. Um, but, so that's how the, how the Russians came into the United States. Y'all know how the Greeks came in? Ellis Island, like everybody else, I assume. Well, no, way before Ellis Island. Oh. Actually, way before way before that, even um, if you go to um, Saint Augustine, Florida, there's the National Shrine uh, for the Greeks, and it's because they tried to start a colony called New Smyrna on the Florida coast. And it failed and it died out. But most of the Greeks came here, like the, the two oldest Greek, I'll give you a hint, the two oldest Greek parishes in the United States, uh, the first was Galveston and the second was New Orleans. Oh, wow. Really? Because oh. it was the sailors, the Greek sailors. Oh. And then they would settle and they wanted a place to go to church. Um, so after, after the Russian Revolution, the Greeks, what happened is normally when the Orthodox missionize a land, right, like the Russians did with Alaska, they send priests in, they go and they convert the tribes, whatever, you know, and then they set up a bishop, right? What happened here was you had these ethnic communities that were suddenly stranded, so they started sending off to their own home countries for priests and then eventually bishops, right? So everybody then started setting up their own jurisdictions, and that's why we have the mess we have today. Where's, where's the oldest um, Antiochian? Uh, that probably would be um, Brooklyn. That would probably be the, probably be the Archdiocese Cathedral. One of the oldest, though, is Kearney, Nebraska. 
And the way that that happened, Kearney, Nebraska, Oklahoma City, those those parishes, that the way they started was um, one family would move there, and they'd write back to the old country and say, "Life is wonderful here. Everybody move here." And so then all of a sudden you have this Arab community. Oh wow! (laughs) Now, one of the unique things about our archdiocese is that in a lot of towns you'll have two parishes. Two parishes. And the reason for that was because we had two archdioceses. Right. We had, uh-huh, we had Brooklyn and we had Toledo. Brooklyn, Brooklyn was, yeah, because there was a split in once they got to the United States. Brooklyn was more people from the cities and things of that nature. Toledo was people from the villages of Lebanon and things of, like, of that nature. Right? And it's only because um, of the uh, work of Metropolitan Philip and Archbishop Michael, both of thrice blessed memory, that um, in 1975, I believe, they got together and said, actually, Metropolitan Philip was over Brooklyn, Archbishop Michael was over Toledo. Philip went to Michael and said, we have to, we have to heal this, we have to fix this. He said, so I will serve unto you. Oh, well. And Michael mm-hmm. said, no, Brooklyn is the senior C. It was started before Toledo. He said, so I'll serve under you. Wow. And that's what happened. Archbishop Michael became an auxiliary of Metropolitan Philip, and um, the breach was healed. In some places, they still remember. Um, and like the, I, when I lived in Boston, I went to St. Mary's, Cambridge, and it had, it had been a, it was the only Toledo parish in town. And so the first time Metropolitan Philip came there for for a visit, that was a big deal, because he was coming to their Toledo parish. So. There wasn't animosity. It was just confusion. oh, there was oh, there was oh, yeah, there was yeah. And what what they had to wait for was the two previous archbishops to both die. Oh, <laughs> time heals all wounds. Yeah, usually because somebody dies. So what is happening with the unification in the, in America? We, it's very slow. It's very painful. Um, we have the Assembly of Bishops, the Assembly of Canonical Orthodox Bishops in the United States, and they are slowly. But the 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 way it's it's happening is that area by area they start to do more and more cooperation. Um, we used to have SCOBA, which was the Standing Conference of Orthodox Bishops in, in, in the Americas. Yeah, I remember and, stuff on and SCOBA then became the Assembly of Bishops. Um, but, for example, the OCF, the Orthodox College Fellowship, that's, that had been started, and then they, everybody quit it for a while. And now they've started it back up again, and it's going. You know why they quit it? Why the, all the other juris, all the jurisdictions said we're not doing this anymore? Because what would happen was, every time they start an OCF chapter, the OCA would go in and turn it into an OCA mission. And so the Greeks and the Antiochians said we're not we're not doing this for you to start missions, you know, and just come and taking over. So they quit. Well, the OCA got the hint, and now they're. The OCA is the Russian. The OCA, okay. <laughs> okay, so here's, 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 here we go. Here we go. And this is, this, we, this is good to cover, and if it takes the rest of the class, that's good because you need to know it. Okay, so, the main three jurisdictions in the United States are, I'm going to write them as Constantinople. And then Antioch, and then 
Moscow. Alright. Now, technically, and I'll get to this, but technically, oh, Moscow, and I'm going to write and OCA, and there's a reason for that. Alright, so, <clears throat> each of these jurisdictions, not exclusive, I mean, these aren't the only ones, but these are the three big ones, have churches under them in the United States. So for Constantinople, what's the big one? The Greeks. The GOA, Greek Orthodox Archdiocese. Okay. Anybody know another one that's under the GOA? The Carpatho-Russians, <clears throat> who are in Johnstown. They're headquartered in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, how many of you here know of um, St. Alexis Toth? I've heard of him. Okay, St. Alexis Toth was a Roman Catholic. He was a mitered archpriest in the Roman Catholic Church, in the, one of the Eastern churches, but specifically, I think, in the Ruthenian Church, okay, which is kind of Eastern Europe. He came to the United States and because they had sent him over from there to look into, there were Ruthenian parishes here and things of that nature, and they wanted him to kind of look after them and, and take care of them. He arrives in the United States, well, unbeknownst to the people in Eastern Europe, I guess, the Catholic Church in the United States had a problem where you'd have like five, five Catholic churches on one block because you had the Polish Church, the Irish Church. You know, they were all separated by ethnicity. So this was in the late 1800s. Even back then, they were trying to wipe out kind of the ethnicity, the differences, and kind of regularize and not necessarily have an Irish church and, a, and, a, and an Italian church and a Polish church, right? So St. Alexis Toth arrives in the midst of this. And a bishop named John Ireland in Minneapolis, who was where he was sent, um, received him. And uh, now St. Alexis Toth was a widower, right? And we know that in the Latin rite there, but even especially back then, there were no married clergy. Okay, so when he found out he was a widower, not only would he have him minister under him, he didn't even recognize him as a priest, which greatly offended Alexis Toth because he was one of the most you know mitered archpriest. You don't get that way after your third year. You know, he'd been a priest for for many many you know years. He was very honored in his own home country, and he came over here, and they said, "You're not even a priest. What are you talking about?" The Catholics told him that. The Catholic Archbishop of Minneapolis told him that. Right, So he said, you know what? Now, this is a word that has a lot of controversy attached to it. Anybody want to know what uniatism is? We don't use this term anymore. We used to use it as an insult. Okay, What happened was, um, there was a big push, especially by the Jesuits. They went after the Orthodox churches, and they tried to get groups out of them or entire jurisdictions to come into communion with Rome, okay? It was called, and, and the, the churches which come out of that are called unit, okay? We don't say that to their face, though, because they don't like to be called units. <laughs> it's an insult. So, some of those churches are like the Ruthenian church, which, of which Father Elias Toth was part. Um, the Melkite church. If you went into a Melkite church and you've been into one of our churches, you wouldn't know any difference until all of a sudden they're mentioning the Pope. Okay? Because they were 
taken out of the Church of Antioch and and became part of they're now called the Melkite Catholic Church or one of the Eastern Catholic Churches. Okay, um, there is a Greek Catholic Church. There is a Russian Catholic Church. Um, there is um, the Ruthenian Catholic Church. There's a Byzantine Catholic Church. Um, the Maronite Church is a Lebanese rite that wasn't even Orthodox. Um, but they were doing their own thing, and they came into union with Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, they had their own liturgy and everything else. So, um, anyway, so Father Alexis Toth was in this kind of, was one of these unions, right? That had been kind of, usually it was political. There's a wonderful book that details all of this, and usually it was a political alliance between one ruler and he was looking to see who was going to help protect him best. So he would either make his church unit or he'd keep it orthodox. Okay. So, um, anyway, he said, wait a second, why are we with Rome? We're Orthodox. <clears throat> and in fact, the Melkite Church today, they're in a very difficult position because everybody has renounced this kind of proselytism of bringing, you know, bringing, you know kind of forcibly bringing in congregations to Rome or, you know, whatever. And so they're kind of in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. Because the Catholics, well, they don't do the Latin right, so they don't look Catholic to them. And, of course, the Orthodox won't take them because they're in communion with Rome. They try to claim that they're Orthodox in communion with Rome. Well, that's non-sequitur. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of feel sorry for all of them, but anyway. So Father Alexis Toth, what he did instead was, he said, why are we in, if the Romans are going to treat us like this, why are we in communion with Rome? So he went around the United States talking to all these Ruthenian communities, and he said, we don't need to be with Rome. And they said, yeah, you're right. So what came out of that was what is now known as ACROD, the American Carpatho-Russian Orthodox Diocese. Okay, So that's what this is. What period of time are you talking about? The 1800s. Okay. In fact, and then he was, uh, he's canonized as a saint. He's buried up at St. Tikhon Seminary. Okay. So... Um, yeah, so then um, those are the two big ones under Constantinople. We are the only ones with our act together. Really? Yes. Really, really. Explain. <laughs> we're the only ones. We're, we're the only ones who have only, only one jurisdiction under us in the United States, and that is our Antiochian Archdiocese. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks to Metropolitan Philip and Archbishop Michael. We've got our house in order. We're the only ones. Okay? So, because what, what does it mean to have one's house in order? One bishop, one city. Okay? That's the ultimate aim of the Assembly of Bishops, is to um, have canonical unity in the United States, where so there would be, um, like, a bishop of Dallas. Well, and ideally, all... Those. That's what we're saying yeah. is, and, yeah. and that's what we're saying is, there wouldn't be all of this. It would be one jurisdiction of the United States for all Orthodox churches, and there would be one bishop in Dallas, one bishop in Houston, one bishop, you know, depending on, right? Chicago, for example, right now, based on all the different jurisdictions, has, I believe, 14 bishops. No wow. way. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a mess. It's a mess. How big is Carpatho, Russia? They're about 20 or 30 parishes. So it's not, they, they could easily work with the Greek, Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Well, they do. I mean, they're part of Constantinople. 
but to work with the Greeks. And they do work with the Greeks. For example, the newest bishop of, of the Carpathian Orthodox Diocese um, is a former Greek priest. So they transferred him from the Greek GOA. The problem is the Greeks are so Greek. The Greek first. That is, is, well, okay, so here's the word. Here's the word you need to know. Greek before Christian. (laughs) Well, and that's the problem. I know. Anybody know what that means? I'm saying. Philatism. Philatism is sometimes called ethnophilatism. Mm -hmm. Oh, that really helps. <laughs> okay. Okay. So in biology, what's a phylum? Oh, it's a it's a group of species. It's a group of people. It just means group. Okay. So this is grouping by ethnicity. All right. So what happened was in the 1870s, the Bulgarians said, "Well, we need a Bulgarian bishop in, in Constantinople because we have Bulgarian parishes there." And there was a council in Constantinople who said, "No, you know, one bishop, one city." Ironically, this was the Greeks saying it, right? And so um, they condemned the heresy of ethnophilatism, you know, meaning a Greek doesn't need a Greek bishop and a Bulgarian doesn't need a Bulgarian bishop. They're both Orthodox. They need an Orthodox bishop, right? So this is the heresy of putting ethnicity before your religion. Then comes the United States and the mess that came after the Russian Revolution. Okay. So what happens though is you had each ethnic group then going out and getting their own priests from the old country, and that's how you have all these different jurisdictions. Okay. Complicating it for the Russians, of course. So I'm going to write OCA up here. OCA used to be known as the Metropolia. Okay. Um, so in 1970. The, they were part of the Patriarchate of Moscow. And in 1970, the Patriarchate of Moscow issued a tomos of autocephaly. Okay, now I'm going to write another, I'm going to write another term up here, autonomous. Okay. And then I'm going to write dependent, basically. There are three levels of kind of... You're on your own. Yeah, well, okay. So, like, we... Technically, we're called the self-ruled archdiocese, but what we quickly found out was Metropolitan Philip meant himself. (laughs) (laughs) So nobody really calls it that anymore. Um, But we're basically a dependent... Uh, uh, archdiocese of the Patriarchate of Antioch, right? Mm-hmm. If we have bishops that, that we, you know, no, we can, we can... I thought we were autonomous or whatever. No, autocephalous. Yeah. We, no, they never used that word. They used the word self-ruled. Oh. oh. And that's when we found out Metropolitan Philip meant himself. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What do it's I mean by that? Okay, it's good to be the king. Okay, so let me let me get through my explanation, and then I'll go back to that. Okay, so if you're a dependent church, um, then um, what happens is that you have to have the patriarchate, uh, uh, the patriarchal synod elects your bishops, 
and, and ordains them and sends them to you, basically. Okay? All right? If you're an autonomous church, you elect your own bishops, but the patriarch has to approve them. We never used the word autonomous. We were always corrected if we did. We said self-rule, and there's a reason for that. Um, then if you're autocephalous, you can elect and ordain your own bishops without approval of anybody else. Okay. So in 1970, when, they, when Moscow said the OCA was autocephalous, this became a matter of great controversy. Right? Because basically what they were doing was cutting them loose. Mm-hmm. And saying, you're on your own, you can elect your own bishops and everything else. Okay? They made some interesting choices for Metropolitan, which has harmed their reputation. Um, but technically, they're autocephalous. Now, Constantinople doesn't recognize that. And we just kind of stay out of it. <laughs> okay? Is, is GOA yeah. <laughs> autocephalous? No. They're dependent? They're dependent. They're... Their, their bishops actually, no, they're a dependent archdiocese of the, the Patriarchate of Constantinople. And in fact, some of their, senate, their, their bishops from the United States rotate in onto the Patriarchal Synod on a regular basis now. Okay. <coughs> so an autonomous church would be like um, Japan. Japan elects its own bishops, but they still have to have approval from Moscow because they're descended from Moscow. Um, so this was a big deal when they did this. Now, what complicates Russian church history? Okay. The revolution. The revolution. So you had two kinds of Russians, right? You had the whites and the reds. And that spilled over into the United States. You had the, 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 the czarists, and you had the con- you know those who accepted the new regime. So then you had, so at, at the Russian Revolution, the white Russians, the ones who were supporting the Tsar, fled. Okay? They no longer recognized Moscow because Moscow had fallen under communist control. Right? And they set up ROCOR, which stands for the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia. Basically, it was the Russian Church in exile. Yeah. Okay? They were obviously expecting this revolution to be short-lived, and they would go back and take back over, right? Didn't happen for 70 years, okay? So what happened then was, uh, once communism fell, um, and the patriarchate, actually, but even before communism fell, the patriarchate of Moscow was restored. One of the nasty things that, that Stalin and them tried was, they called it the living church, and it was basically what the Chinese tried to do to the Catholics. It's a, it was a government-controlled church, okay? So, but now the, 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 the patriarch is back, and so the question became what to do with Rocor. <clears throat> because Rocor was off on its own, and they were claiming that all the rest of us were guilty of the pan-heresy of ecumenism and all kinds of things. So nobody was in communion with Rocor, except maybe the Serbs, and the Serbs are nuts. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Guess who told me that? Of course. <laughs> he says, no, Serbs are nuts. And his father's a Serbian priest. You know, and, you know yeah. So, um, so the question became what to do with Rokor, and, and finally about uh, a few years ago, um, within the last decade, I think, maybe, um, Rokor came back into communion with Moscow. 
This, of course, caused another split within Rocor because some of them said, we're not going to communion with those communists, you know, who are into ecumenism. And so now there's like Roca and, you know. Oh, gosh. But Rocor as a body, see, it, we used to have like Orthodox meetings here in, Fort, in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, right? Well, there's a Rocor parish up in McKinney, and the priest would never be invited because he wasn't canonical. Mm. Well, now he is, and he's a nice guy, and, you know. And uh, they're, still, they're still very... Or OCA, do they get along? OCA? They get along. Now, they're not under the same... They, they came back into communion, but they didn't come... They didn't become change. administrative. Yeah, they didn't change the bishops. <coughs> that's down the road. Yeah. you got to wait for a few more people to die before that happens. Because that's usually the way it happens. Yeah. As we saw in our own archdiocese. Okay. Um, another controversial group that is... It's called, they call it like a vicariate for uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, this one's very controversial because the priest there in this vicariate for Jerusalem, Jerusalem came over and tried and said, well, if everybody else has parishes in the United States, we will too. Well, that got crushed real quick. Um, and so what they did was, the Const uh, Patriarchate of Constantinople said, well, we'll have this vicariate for these Jerusalem priests. Well, guess who these Jerusalem priests are? Yeah, who are they? Why aren't they Antiochians? They were Antiochians. Oh. <laughs> and we, we ex they were Antiochians we kicked out. Oh. Oh. So, yeah, that was, that was a mess. They have to go somewhere. Well, here's what it does. It was a parish in <clears throat> California, and they, you know, we... we have convert parishes from various traditions. And so um, when churches came in, the, the, our archdiocese didn't exactly... Oh, no, no. So... Um, so, so this was St. Peter's and Paul and Ben Loman, California. They had been a... Uh, I, I want to say Foursquare or something like that. Anyway, there was some misunderstanding on the behalf of the the um, archdiocese that when they would bring these parishes in, for example, when we came in, <clears throat> you know, the Episcopal Church doesn't have ordained subdeacons. We had laymen serving as subdeacons, right? But when we came into the archdiocese, um, they said, okay, you have how many priests? Okay, two or one. And you have a deacon? Okay, one. And you have any subdeacons? Oh, yeah, we got six. Okay, well, then we were all ordained subdeacon. Now, the Orthodox understanding of subdeacon is not the same as the Episcopal Church, right? But that's why I've been a subdeacon for 25 years now, is because I got chrismated, I was tonsured reader, and I was made subdeacon when we first came into the church. Okay, that works, you know, it's worked out. But some of these other, like Protestant, more Protestant parishes, um, they were... They had a board, like Ben Lohman, when they came in, they, had, they didn't have a vestry, like we have a vestry. They didn't have a parish council. They had a board of elders, right? Well, guess what elder translates to in Greek? Presbyter. So they said, oh, we got 12 priests. So they ordained them all priests. So this parish never had a parish council. They had a presbytery that ran the parish. Yes. Communion 
right? And they were getting all, and, and, and what happened was after about five, six, you know, after a few years, everybody realized, well, they're getting off the track. Okay, this is not normal. And there may have been a misunderstanding, but we ordained them, that's okay. So they started trying to assign some of these priests to other parishes. Well, that didn't fly. And yeah, no, this was one, it was one of ours, St. Peter and Paul, Ben Loman, California. So then the priest said, "Well, okay, how about just letting us go to go to the OCA? Just let us transfer to the OCA." And Metropolitan Phillips like, "No. You, how about you being obedient?" Bless you. So they tried to take the parish out of the archdiocese, and um, we sued them. And just as the Diocese of Fort Worth won our old property, um, our Antiochian Archdiocese won their old property. Mm-hmm. And about two-thirds of the parish left, and we were left with about a third of the parish, and it's been rebuilt and, and it's coming back. But this group of clergy then that were all excommunicated and anathematized and things like that um, refused even then to be obedient to that, and they claimed they were under Jerusalem. <laughs> It was awful. Everybody's got to be somebody. Everybody's got to be somebody. So, um, but what? Hmm? You said it was a four-square church. That's a huge jump. What is four-square? It's a it's a Protestant tradition. What? Yeah, yeah. We've had all kinds of. We've had. Oh no, no. I know what it was. It was vineyard, which is probably even a bigger jump. It was a vineyard church. Yeah. It was a vineyard church that became Orthodox. Yeah, it was a vineyard church. Now, we have had four square churches become Orthodox, too. So, Because what happens is, just like, in, how many of you have read Father Peter Gilquist becoming Orthodox? Oh. Okay. So that wasn't one of his... I was wondering that, too. Uh, it was one they helped bring in. Right. But it wasn't one of his. It wasn't one of his, yeah. It wasn't part of the AEOM. Miss right. him, I still wish you would yeah, a lot. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. But uh, it was it was one that they helped bring in. Out in California. So, um, anyway, so. Lesson learned. But, but for example, under. Yeah, there should have there should have been a red flag there. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like the OCA, you know, they have like the diocese of the South, that is Miami. You know, it's Miami and Dallas. But then they also have like the Albanian diocese. They have these non-geographical dioceses that cover various ethnicities. And the reason for that is, and then the Albanian church has their own churches here. Why is that? Because some were viewed, you know, this group called this group communist sympathizers, and vice versa. Right? Conflict. So a lot of the mess that's here to fix is not just ethnic, it's also, and and whose side did you support when the communists were in charge? Now, I, that part I did not realize. Yeah. Okay, what's that other, what's the other church? There's one up in um, Keller, not, not Ethiopian. Coptic? Not, Coptic. No, okay, that's, that's not, okay. It, it, they're still not recognized. They're, they're Oriental Orthodox. Yeah. That's, that's, a long, that's an older split. That's the third, third yeah. ecumenical council. But we haven't, we haven't, we don't have <coughs> them under. They're, they're not considered under our group. Okay. No, that's, that's a whole different story. It really, I mean, it really is. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, this is administrative. That was theological. No, yeah, that's theological. Yeah. And so, yeah, all of this. <clears throat> now, if you go to a Rokor church, it's going to look different, and the priest is going to preach about different things, but it's still the Orthodox faith as we know it. It's just they have different emphases. 
For example, if you haven't been to confession with that priest, don't approach the chalice. They're very strict about that. You know, whereas in our, our church, we're lucky if we remember to ask, are you Orthodox? Okay. <laughs> we are. I mean, you know, and it's different parishes, different, different priests, different, different levels of scrutiny. Um, a lot of church, a lot of churches, and I kind of wish if we didn't have already 15 pages of stuff already in our bulletin every Sunday, um, a lot of parishes will put a note in there, uh, a reminder, only charismatic Orthodox right. who have, who are spiritually ready, i.e. you've been to confession recently, uh, should receive communion. I address that with him after you address that with him, and it's yeah. going to be in all yeah. funeral bulletins. Now. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Because what happened was we had, you know, normally we have anybody who wants a blessing goes to the right with Father because he's the only one who can bless, and then anybody who you know takes communion can come to the left with Deacon Ken because he can't bless. Well, whoever it was, the usher sent all the pallbearers for Sammy Khalil to Deacon Ken. And he didn't know, Uh-oh. so he communed a bunch of them that I kind of pretty much knew. Uh, my father did too. Mm-hmm. I was watching. <laughs> yeah, and Deacon Ken didn't ask yeah, because right. normally he doesn't have to because normally if you're not supposed to commune, yeah, but at a funeral, you go. To, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I took communion at a Catholic funeral. Oh, I just innocently. I had no idea. Yeah. Theoretically, theoretically, if you take oh, now, if you take communion in another church, let me address that well, real I quick. I wasn't Orthodox at the time. So if you weren't Orthodox uh-huh. at the time, that's fine. If, <laughs> let me address this because this is controversial to some people, but it makes sense when you think about it. As Orthodox Christians, we do not take communion in other other traditions, and we do not allow other traditions to take communion here. Why? Why? Why do you have close communion? You're so mean. No, we're not. One. Um, if you talk, if you read St. Paul, he talks about if you take communion, you're not supposed to, it can kill you. Okay, he says that's why there's many sick among you and things of that nature. Two is if you know, as Orthodox, we have a certain understanding about what's happened happened to the bread and wine in that chalice, about how they become the body and blood of Christ. Okay, that is not shared by everybody. Okay, so for us, communion is the last and and. Step not only step but signal of unity. Okay, if we ever reunify with, for example, the Oriental Orthodox, um, then communion will be the end result. That's that's the end of it. Okay, the last thing that happens. And once we share communion, then that means you're that you're then you're reunified. Protestant mentality. Is right. So the the Protestant thing is, well, let's take communion and, and sing kumbaya, and we'll all be fine. <laughs> we'll just paper over all our differences. Oh, well. They view, they view communion as a means to unity. We view it as as the end result of unity. Which is why there's such a disconnect. Which, when you you know, if you read about some of these rants from some very, very conservative fundamentalist orthodox about the pan-heresy of ecumenism, they've got some points. I'm not going to completely dismiss them. But there's two kinds of ecumenism. There's the ecumenism practiced by a lot of Protestants where it's the, let's take communion, let's just sing kumbaya, and we'll paper over our differences. Okay? That's the bad part of way of ecumenism. Okay? But... Don't let that interfere with, for example, the Orthodox Roman Catholic dialogue that we have going on, the Eastern Orthodox Oriental Orthodox dialogue that we have going on, where we're not papering over those differences, 
we're sending our scholars on a regular basis to discuss the differences that we have and seeing if there's ways past them. Okay? So, for example, when we came into the church 25 years ago, we were talking about the filioque, and, and Rome believes the filioque. Okay? Guess what? In 25 years, that's become very nuanced. Just in the past 25 years, where Rome now says, let, let, us, let us make ourselves clear. The filioque is only in the Latin translation. And our patriarch, of, you know, our patriarch of Constantinople and the Pope have stood in front of, there's a, gold, a silver door in Rome with the creed engraved on it in the original Greek, no filioque. They both stood there and said it together. Okay? So they, they're, what their thing is, they're saying now is, yeah, the filioque, that's not, a, that's not maybe a deal breaker. Don't let that be a deal breaker. Now, what are some deal breakers yeah, for us? Papal supremacy. Mm-hmm. No. That's the biggie. <laughs> and everything else that flows from that. Papal, papal infallibility. Um, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which, you know, um, the misunderstanding of original sin. And again, even on that one, you know, we view Augustine as an Orthodox saint. Uh, we don't accept all his writings, especially some of the scholastic ones, right? But, um, Thanks for coming. Yeah, so I'm glad you were interested. Did you like something? So, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> I think his head was exploding. He, he's going to call the archdiocese and report on me. <laughs> so, I, I have enough. Good. Okay. We won't be seeing him anytime soon. So, um... Yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, that's the good kind of ecumenism, where we don't say, you know, just try to say, oh, no, everything, let's just hug each other and we'll we'll be unified. You know, like the Episcopal Church, you know, uh, is in communion with the Lutherans. They don't, you know, in the United States, yeah, especially in the United States. They don't have, yeah, oh, it's part of this bigger thing, you know. Yeah, so if you're an Episcopalian, you can go take communion in the Lutheran Church. At the Missouri Synod, one you can't do because that was closed communion. Exactly. I used to work for them. They're they're the only sane Lutherans I know. Yeah. So, because my mom and my dad's family was Missouri Synod. And, in fact, my aunt has played organ at their little Missouri Synod parish in LaGrange, Missouri for 50 years now. Well, I haven't. Well, I call it, you had to have a ticket. Yeah, well, you had to have a ticket. They won't let you out the aisle. Right, but but Missouri Synod, and they tried to take over Missouri Synod, too. The the liberals did, and they put that down. Um, But, uh, yeah, they're kind of the only sane ones. Um, Wisconsin Synod is kind of like the Rocor of Lutherans. Um, They're like, you know, very very angry people. Uh, I don't want to say that. That's, that's That's a bad thing to say. That's a mischaracterization. I'm sorry. But they're very conservative, very conservative, even compared to Missouri Synod. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, so one of the aims in the United States is to get this mess all straightened out, right? And we're the only ones that have our mess straightened out in-house. Because, like, the OCA has non-geographical dioceses that cover technically the entire United States, but they're only for Albanians. Or they're only for, you know, some other group. I forget which which other ones they have. Right, and meanwhile, then there's another Albanian group under now. One group that did get its act together um, are the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians had three separate jurisdictions in the United States, and now they have one, and they're under Constantinople. So the Ukrainians are under here. Ukrainian. 
they always been separate from the Moscow, Moscow church? See, there were Ukrainians under Moscow. Well, uh, no. Well, it depends on what time they invaded. You know, what time of day did Moscow last invade Ukraine? Just better that they not be under Moscow. See, for example, now, like, here's a church that's really messed up. I have a friend who's a military chaplain in Estonia. Now, Estonia only has, like, what, 200,000 people? Or maybe less, right? But they have two Orthodox churches. Two separate jurisdictions. Why? Because what happened was... They had the Estonian church, which was under Constantinople, right? But then Moscow invaded, mm-hmm. right? And they were under Moscow. You know, Moscow controlled that area for 70 years. Well, guess what happened under those 70 years? Estonia is a wonderful place. And so all these Russian military officers, when they retired, they moved to Estonia. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, Estonia declares freedom. And they say, oh, and by the way, we're taking our church back. Well, all the, now you've got all these ethnic Russians living there saying, well, no, you're not. We're under Moscow. And there was some fighting and everything else. And so now there's, there's two Estonian jurisdictions. There are Estonian parishes. And what's weird is the majority of the clergy, but a minority of the people under, are under Constantinople. And a minority of the clergy, but a majority of the people are under Moscow. Okay, now I know we have to close, but a lot of... Playing devil's advocate. Yes. A lot of people would say this is not unification. It's not. And that that, you know, we say we are all... Now, now, okay. So this, keep in mind, this is all... In devil's advocate, that's why you have a pope in Rome and all. You know what I'm saying? Right. With more of the... Even though they have all... I'm not... Right. And, 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 And they... Right. And one of the temptations of this guy, because he's first among equals is, you know, a lot of people push back against Constantinople because, well, you know, don't think you're a pope. But keep in mind, all of this, the only disunity here is administrative. Right. If I go to St. Barbara's down the street, if I go to the Carpathian Russian Cathedral in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, in fact, we have the new Carpathian Russian Archbishop came and did a uh, talk here at St. Peter's. He came here. At the time, he was a Greek bishop. Okay? All of this disunity is not theological. And we all receive each other. Yeah. Oh, I could go to a Ukrainian church. Are you Orthodox? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay? So, you know, Rokor, yeah, they're a little bit more, I mean, they like you to go confess to that priest before you do and it's always a good idea. It's always a good idea before you go to an Orthodox church to contact the priest ahead of time and say, "Hey, I'm Antiochian." My, you know, because what's the what's the question we always ask each other to make sure we're Orthodox? Who's your bishop? Who's your bishop? So they will probably ask you, "Who's your bishop?" And you would say, "John, Bishop John of Worcester." Okay, I know him. And and they do. They all know each other. Metropolitan. <laughs> that well, or you, or you can say Metropolitan Joseph. Because technically, he really, you know, Bishop John is an auxiliary of Metropolitan Joseph. <clears throat> we just have just Bishop John now and not Bishop Basil. Yes. When I first came yes. there. Okay, that's that. That is a different story. That Father and I were just talking about, and he and I. Well, I don't know if he and I disagree on it. I disagree with Father Ed on it, our Vicar General. Um, but that that may change yet again. We'll have to see. Can we get Bishop Hazel back? We might get Bishop Hazel back. Yeah.
I love John, but I just... And I, t I told Bishop John this, and he just kind of laughed. Actually, my, well, I, I told Bishop Basil. Did I tell Bishop Basil? But my mom, first time Bishop John came here, she's like, oh, we like you. <laughs> but you're not Bishop Basil. <laughs> and he's like, I know. He knows. He knows. He knows. Grandpa. I mean, he is. He's very. He is. He's very. Uh... He is. He was. He was married for, for you know I don't know how many years. His son is about. Uh, if he hasn't already been ordained, he's the youth director out at St. George Phoenix. Um, you know he he was a longtime parish priest, and uh, then when his wife passed from cancer, they said, "Tag, you're it," <laughs> and made him a bishop. So, um, but, yeah. A question about the communion stuff. So, like, one time I was sitting nearby somebody that was a visitor, and he, when Father Robert got by him, he said a name, and Father Robert went ahead and gave him communion. But, like, then when I went to the Antiochian on SMI, I went forward, and I didn't know. The guy was like, handmaiden of God. I was like, yes. And he's like, handmaiden of God. I was like, okay. yes. And he so finally goes, your name, honey. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Because the way we, yeah, the way we get, um, the, normally when you receive ch uh, communion in an Eastern Rite church, it's the servant of God or the handmaid of God, and, and when they say that, you say your name, yeah. and then your saint's name, and then, then they give you communion, right? And so, um, yeah, here we'll usually just kind of say, are you Orthodox, but, because we don't use your name when we give you communion, and so... Can I ask one other question? Yes. It, it might not be a fast one, but that's all right. Baptism. Yes. You know, in in Protestant churches, most Protestant churches, it's yes. just symbolic. Not like, here. Right. Not here. I, I'm trying to understand, like what what is the under the full understanding of you die. Baptism? In Orthodoxy, you die. Okay. In baptism. And are born again. Okay. So when a Protestant asks you, "Are you born again?" You say, uh, what, what, you can say either yes, because after bat, you know, with baptism you are born again, or you can, or, well, the question that I'll ask is, are you saved? Yeah. Yes, right. Are you saved? And you, say, and you can say, I was saved at the resurrection, I am being saved, and I will be saved, you know, at, at the general resurrection. So, you know, because they have this, like, and, and it drove my cousin schizophrenic. Because she thought she'd been saved, and then she went and did some things. And she couldn't figure out how, if she'd been saved, she was still able to sin, and yeah. gave her schizophrenia. Yeah. Okay, so here's part of my question. So, and I mean, my kids were baptized as infants. Sure. But it was a symbolic, this is a sign of the, the covenant, you know. So, when infants are baptized here, what, I mean, what is the... You weren't here last Same. week, were you? I was here, but I still oh, don't understand. Okay. What, okay. What the? I mean, then they take communion immediately. So why is that when there's like, when children go through? Because a we don't have, later. we don't, we don't subscribe to the Western concept of the age of reason. Okay. And that's what what happened in the, the Roman Catholic Church, where you separated out first communion from confirmation and and baptism. Um, so we believe, and and you know, infant baptism came about. Um, because, especially with infant mortality as high as it was, people didn't want their children dying without being part of the church. Okay, and that's really how it developed. 
Um, it, you know, obviously in the age of Christ, people were converted, but then their fa- they'd bring their families, and and so they baptized the children as well. Um, so, what happened in the West was you had this this especially during the, the age of enlightenment. You know, you had this. Well, there's a re- you know age of reason when a child is able to understand certain concepts. Well, yes and no, because there are adults who can't understand certain concepts. You know, especially if they're mentally challenged. So this idea of a single age of reason, this single idea of an age of reason where, okay, at this age you can now understand what you need to understand to be confirmed in the church. It becomes so much more about... Yeah, but it, it, what it became was a rite of passage. Yeah. yeah, what it really became was in the West became a rite of passage. And so it's up to the family. Their covenant, you know, the covenant exists under that baptism. Baptized child so, to be brought up in the faith and to understand, be taught the faith. Yeah. And so yeah, parents. that it does seem a little strange because, you know, like we did a baptism last week, and you know, of Catherine, and Father says, Catherine, are you willing to be baptized? Well, Catherine's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, Kim and I then answered yes for her. Because, because it's our responsibility to make sure she's brought up in the faith. It always bothered me in the Episcopal Church, and and I went at length with mm-hmm. baptizing our. You know, why do we do infant when we still had this age of reason concept theology? Right. Right. I, 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 I could tell yeah. that there, yeah. there was. Yeah. A so I I was baptized when I was 19 days old, but I wasn't confirmed until I was nine. See, I wish we did have more of a confirmation as a, you know a high school type thing for our kids to say, okay, and now I well, I and that's that's really why you know the B the B series is is a teen catechism. Right, we need that. So and that that's our kids we really can say everything you know, that was given right. to me, I accept. You know, I am now going to live it out. Yeah, right. Because we that's, all have to go through that. Right, but but it's not just teens. I mean, adults need that too. Right. Yeah. And so it's a process where we need to start them as children, continue because. Where do most people fall away from the church? Teenagers. College. College. Military. College. college. Yeah. college. Yeah. Or military. <laughs> but college. College age. You know, and that's the same age. <clears throat> Why? Because it's the first time they're on their own. It's the first time nobody's shaking them and saying, We're late for church. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> trying to find a church. I'll trying to find a church is tough. Trying to find Yeah, trying to find a church is tough. People that you know yeah. go to church. You know, now for our kids, I mean, the lifestyle is so that no one goes to church. Well, and especially, like, you know, growing up as an Episcopalian, and, you know, you go off to a different diocese and it's a whole different ballgame. It's not church like I know it. You know, it's like trying to be a. Republican outside of Texas. That's a whole different thing. Then they started the dedication thing. Because to me, it just doesn't make sense to have have a baby in your Christian home, come to worship every day, and them not be part of the... Well, that was... Yeah, that was a thing. I think it's a very beautiful... Especially when, when, you know, tomorrow an earthquake's going to open you all up and, oh, wait, you're going to heaven, but your child's not. Because they didn't know what was going to happen to their child if it wasn't baptized. And And it's all about... God's work in us. Exactly. Not us. Exactly. So, yeah. So we don't we don't have that concept of age of reason. So we baptize, we chrismate, and we give communion, and they're full members of the church. And, you know, usually it's four steps. Yeah, usually it's four steps. Baptism, chrismation, communion, pledge card. Now, now, <laughs> if, if her children were baptized, like when okay. we... Okay. 
we already talked about that. Okay. Yeah. 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 If they were baptized, baptized with moving water, by yeah, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you don't have to be. Then we're good to go. We're good to go. One, there's like when we were being chrismated down in Beaumont, in front of the altar, in in inside the iconostas and in front of the altar. Nobody's supposed to go there but the priest. It's a holy place. I didn't know. I walked right through there. Remember, I hear this. <laughs> Bishop Basil says, "We'll just take it as a as a as a as a for, you know, a sign of what things to come." <laughs> so, any other questions? All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>